He is risen. Yeah, I like the sound of that. He is risen. Yeah, we're here to celebrate that this morning. Um, I'm Mike Sindel. I'm pastor here at Valley Free, and we are glad that you're here today. We're thrilled that you're here today. So uh, let's continue our worship. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, this is a foundational truth. This is at the core of, of who we are and what we do. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that as you have promised, that you would be here among us, that you would dwell in our worship, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would burn in our hearts this morning, and that this truth would become clear to us and that we might respond to it in worship and giving of ourselves to you. We pray in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here. I've said that already. I'm going to say it again. We've been expecting you, and we've been praying for this day and as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I'd like to start off this morning by, by just asking the question, why are we here? Some, some are new to Valley Free. Some, some of you have never visited before and maybe wondering, what do we do here? And what, uh, how does it work here? What do, these, what do these church people do? And I'd like, to, I'd like to just take on that question, if I could, just for a moment. What do we do at church? 1 Corinthians is a, is a letter to the Corinthian church. It's, it's a church in Greece. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote many of the letters, many of the books in the New Testament, said this. He wrote to this church in Greece, and he said this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. When we say he is risen, we're proclaiming the gospel this morning. The gospel is all of, all of the Bible, all of Scripture, and the gospel is, is the message of Jesus Christ risen. He says, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preach to you. And he says, you have received it, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So I ask the question, what, what do we do at church? What is, what is our life about at church? What do those people do when they gather together? This is it. We preach the gospel. We tell people about Jesus Christ. We tell people the good news that he has risen from the dead and that all of our lives can line up with that and experience all that he has for us. Paul says that you receive it. There's a, there's, a, there's a transaction that takes place when we preach the gospel, when Jesus Christ is proclaimed. There's a transaction where we receive that news. We grow in it, and we, and we train it, we teach it. And Paul says we take our stand in it. We dedicate ourselves to this message, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says you are saved by it. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And he says, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you. The other thing that we do here as we gather together as followers of Jesus Christ is we stand fast in it when life gets difficult, when life gets crazy, when life goes in directions that we don't understand and we need an anchor. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is our anchor. And Paul says, you stand fast in it. And that's why we gather together as a church so we can encourage one another so we can stand alongside each other, so we can remind ourselves of the promises that God has made to us. We can remind ourselves that there's the power of the resurrection of the dead, that there's new life waiting for us, and no matter what comes our way, we stand fast in it. 
And then Paul goes on and he says, this is the gospel. For I delivered to you, I gave it to you as of first importance. This is the, this is the most important thing, the most basic thing. This is fundamental to who we are as the people of God. He says, what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, again, in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is what we proclaim and what we live by. He died for our sins. He took our place. We talked about this on Friday night at Good Friday service. He was our substitute. Sin says that we are deserving of death, eternal separation from God. But he took our place. He took that punishment for us. He was buried and he rose again. That's the good news. That's what we celebrate today. That's why we're here. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the heart of the message. It's the heart of who we are. It's the heart of what we do. It's the heart of our calling. It's everything. Uh, by the way, you can talk here, too. So, so when, I, when, I, when I say that, and when it kind of comes to a little bit of a climax, there's somebody, somebody usually says amen or somebody, something like that. So we, that's another thing we do here. Thank you. And the other thing I would remind ourselves is that Paul says, he says it twice in here. He says, according to the scriptures, the Bible is God's word. We believe that it's the very breath of God. And so when we, when we gather together, we say, where, where, is, where does it say it? Where does God write it? Where does God speak it? We gather together to study his word so that we can know what he says to us and where he leads us and wisdom he has for us in all of, all of life, according to the scriptures. So what do we do? We let this work out. We let this gospel message work out in our lives. It's not easy. It's not easy. And here in the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not perfect. We haven't figured everything out but we're following after Jesus and we're going with each other so that we can understand who Jesus is and what this resurrection means. We worship together, and as we do that, there's a sense of awe and discovery as we walk in faith together. We see Jesus do new things. We see him work in our lives. And I, you know, I always say when I see something just amazing, when I see a miracle happen, a life transformed, a circumstance overcome, when I see a testimony about who Jesus Christ is and how he's changed your life, I always stand back and say, well, that's amazing. And I always ask myself, why am I surprised? Because that's what the resurrected Jesus Christ does in our lives. And that's why we gather together. Here's the problem. I've been trying to figure out all week long how to explain the resurrection in just a few minutes. And it's big. And there's so many implications to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that, that I don't know how to put it all together in one, one nice little package this morning. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to turn to the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the, the uh, testimony, the story of two people who encountered the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we just need help. Sometimes we need somebody to come alongside and tell their story. Sometimes we need somebody to explain the scriptures to us. 
And I'm going to dive into the story of two guys. They're described as disciples of Jesus Christ who are walking down a road. It's, it's called the road to Emmaus. And I'd like to just let them talk to us this morning and tell us what they saw. So if you turn with me, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, to Luke chapter 24, I'll start at verse 13. Let's just walk through this together. I'll, I'll just say this is after the resurrection. This is when Jesus started appearing to his disciples, and this is one of those appearances. So verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember that, it's kind of important. It's seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're taking the hike. They're walking to Emmaus. And they were talking to each other about the, all these things that happened. What, what things do you suppose those are? The, res, the crucifixion, the, the, the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and, and, and they're wondering about the fact that some of the people have said, we've seen Jesus, and they don't know what to do with it. So they were talking about all these things that had happened. In verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. They don't know that the resurrected Jesus is walking down this road with them. Can you imagine that? They don't know it. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What is this conversation that you're holding with? What are you guys talking about? And they stood still, and they were looking sad. Now, something has gone on. Can, can you imagine what it is? Some, some big event has gone on that the whole world knows about. And in this case, a very, very tragic circumstance, a very bad circumstance, Jesus Christ was crucified. And they were followers of his, and, and they're despondent over it. They don't know what to do with it. And so when he asked the question, what, what are you talking about? They just stopped, and they stood still, and they looked at him with, with, with incredulity, probably, what do you mean you don't know what we're talking about? Haven't you heard? Then one of them, we don't know the names of both of them. One of them was named Cleopas. Um, they, some speculated that it was a husband and wife walking down the road. We don't really know. And they go on to say this. Now, there, there's a little sarcasm in here. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Where have you been? And he said to them, he's playing right along, what things? So he goes into an explanation. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who happens to be standing right there, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. See, they understood who Jesus was. They saw him do his miracles. They, saw his, they heard his teaching. They saw the transformed lives. They saw everything that Jesus did. And their summary of it, a prophet who was mighty indeed. And how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here it is. 
But we, and I underline this in my Bible, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Do you, do you see the hopelessness in their story? It's all lost. Jesus is dead. We, we just talked about Paul, his description of the gospel. He was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. He's dead. And we were hoping, we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. Can you hear the hopelessness, the, the lost, the sense of lostness in here? Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some women of our company, some, some of the ladies from our group, amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying what they had even, that, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And they're not seeing him either. He's standing right there. They couldn't see him. You see, what strikes me, what, what, what is amazing to me, is that these are followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know if they were with Jesus the whole three years. I don't know when they came along. But they were followers of Jesus Christ. That's how Luke described them. They knew Jesus. And if they were followers of Jesus Christ, they knew that he had told them on multiple occasions, I am to go to Jerusalem. I am to suffer at the hands of the leaders. I am to suffer at the hands of the people. I will, be, I will die but don't worry, I'll come back on the third day. I will rise again. Don't worry. He told them several times. And yet here they stand, and they have the eyewitness testimony of the ladies who were to the tomb, and some of the disciples went to the tomb, and they have the eyewitness account of that as well. He's not there. We haven't, we, we, we haven't seen him. He's gone. And yet with all the teaching, with all the presence of Jesus, in all the eyewitness testimony, they're still lost. They still don't get it. They still don't get it. And so let's keep reading. Starting at verse 25. And Jesus now said to them, Oh, foolish ones. How's that for a conversation starter? Um, in today's vernacular, we'd probably say, You idiots. You idiots. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I, I find it amazing that Jesus just, well, I'm going to say something rather obvious. Jesus assumed the resurrection. He didn't have to explain it. He didn't go into all kinds of apologetics and explanations and, and, uh, and facts and figures regarding the resurrection. For one thing, he just experienced it, and he's standing right there. But he felt no need to say, here it is, you guys. He simply went back to the scriptures, and he said, you know this. And for, for them, the scripture didn't include the New Testament. It wasn't written then. It was the Old Testament. In all the prophets, in, in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all the prophets and, and, and King David who wrote many of the Psalms. It's all in there, people. It's all right there. You should have known this. And then he says, 
Why are you so slow of heart? Why can't you conceive this? Conceive of this. Let's keep reading. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, to Emmaus, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then it happened. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Poof. Gone. So they're traveling. It's getting late into the night, and they don't want their guests to go any farther into the night. Stay with us. Stay with us. Jesus was right there. He sat at their table. He broke bread with them, and they couldn't see him. I really struggled with this. I really struggled with this. Let's, let's, finish, let's finish it up. Their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, now he's gone. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us? I'm struck with the fact that, that they couldn't see Jesus. And as I've wrestled with this idea, what, what was it? What was it? And I believe, I went back to the scripture and the story says that their eyes were opened. We need to have our eyes opened up. We need, Jesus is right there and we need to have our eyes opened. I'm struck by the fact that they said that their hearts were burning. Jesus was speaking, but he was giving them the scripture. And as they looked at the scripture and as, as he led them through, can you imagine doing a Bible study with Jesus? Here it is. I believe God was prompting in their hearts. When they said, wasn't, wasn't our, wasn't, weren't our hearts burning as he talked to us? It's because it's God. It's because God is moving in their hearts. God is stirring in their hearts. And they recognized that. And now that they've seen Jesus, now that they're able to look back on it, they're able to say, yes, God was speaking to us. It was Jesus himself in the flesh. And when we read from Scripture, God is speaking to us. And when we read from Scripture, if our eyes are open, if we're leaning into Christ, our hearts will burn within us as well. But the problem is, the problem is that natural eyes can't see supernatural things, and that's what we're talking about here. We need God to open our eyes. You see, reading Scripture and understanding these great truths, understand these miraculous events such as the resurrection, we can't understand them just by doing an academic exercise. We can align all the facts and figures and all the history and all the context. We can put it all in place and we can begin to grasp it. But unless God speaks, unless God moves, we can't hear. The scripture says that their eyes were opened.
have to ask myself, why couldn't they see? Why couldn't they see? I think they, one of the, the reason for the two disciples not being able to see is that they were overwhelmed by their circumstances. They, they, they had all the pieces. It's like, a, it's like a puzzle that's laying there on the table waiting for you to put it together, but somebody stole the box top, and I can't see the image. I don't know where it's supposed to go. I don't know what the puzzle's supposed to look like. I see all these pieces. In fact, in fact, the circumstances are so confusing to me that I think some of the puzzle pieces are missing, which I always say when we're putting puzzle pieces together. They couldn't make sense of it all. I think they couldn't see Jesus because they were lost in despair. They were in hopelessness. They lost it all. Then I look at other parts of the, 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 the narrative for the crucifixion and the resurrection, and we see the famous Thomas. And what does Thomas say? Show me the facts. I'm not going to believe this until I see his nail prints, until I see the scar in his side and I put my fingers in there. I'm not going to believe it. For some of us, we can't see Jesus until all the facts are lined up. And we're not afraid of the facts. In fact, many Many people have set out to disprove the resurrection, and many have, have actually turned around from being atheists and skeptics about the resurrection and trying to disprove it and actually writing books to, to gather the evidence for it. So we're not afraid of the facts, but sometimes, sometimes we hide behind that and we refuse to see Jesus because I need to see more facts. And that's why... It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart, not of facts. And then there was Peter. We all know Peter. We all know that Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus said, I'm going to, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be left at the hands of the leaders, and, and they're going to do horrible things to me. And Peter said, may it not be so. And Jesus said, get behind me. Peter was right there. He's saying, no, Lord, I'm, I'll stand with you. I'll, I'll stand with you. Even if we die together, I'm, I'm standing right here with you. We know the story of Peter and how he betrayed Jesus three times, at least three times. He said, I, I don't know the guy. Never saw him before in my life. So why wouldn't Peter see the resurrected Jesus? And I believe he was slow to come too. Peter couldn't see Jesus because of the guilt, because of the shame. And I believe that we all suffer from the sin problem, the, the fact that we're all rebellious against God, the fact that we all fall short of what God expects for us. We, we just can't measure up to who God is. And that leaves us with guilt, it leaves us with shame, and it leaves us feeling unworthy. Like, I can't, I can't come to Christ. And I believe Peter, in, in his shame and his guilt of betraying Jesus, I wonder if he even wanted to see Jesus again because he didn't want to be reminded of what he did. He felt so unworthy. And I think we all hide behind that as well. We get lost in that, our own unworthiness to come into God's presence. And then there were the religious leaders. I hate to include them in, in the cast of characters, but they were the ones who cried out for Jesus to be crucified. They were territorial. They didn't like Jesus working in on their territory and their leadership and their authority. They had their own view of God, and not even Jesus Christ himself could shake that view of God. They were hard-hearted, and they refused to hear God's voice. 
they refused to see the resurrected Jesus. They all had Jesus' teaching, but none of them could see it. I think it's interesting. Let's, let's finish the text. And they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. Remember why they told Jesus that they wanted him to stay with them? Remember why? It's fun to look into the context. Well, it's seven miles back to Jerusalem, and it's too late. It's dark. We don't travel at night. Well, what did they do when they saw the resurrected Jesus? It changed their life. They had a, they had a story to tell. They had news to share. And they, they, they got up from that table as soon as Jesus vanished, and they said, we got to get out of here. And they went back to Jerusalem into the face of danger. And they went to find the disciples, and they, they said, we have seen Jesus. The disciples even said to them, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Life changed forever. I think they saw, they saw through the lens of what, what the, they saw through the lens of the resurrection. They saw life through a whole new perspective. They saw eternity. They saw Jesus now raised from the dead. Death is no longer an enemy. Death is conquered, and everything else is conquered in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection, and they had a story to tell. Circumstances could now had somebody outside of the circumstances who could control and who could give hope and leadership through circumstances. Hope was found again because, because Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Political authorities no longer had that a kind of authority because now God was seen as over them. Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is over all the nations. Jesus Christ is over everything. And Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, which means my sins are forgiven, which means that I can now come to God. I no longer need to feel guilt and shame and worthlessness because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And they had a story to tell. And so they got up from the table and they ran to Jerusalem seven miles. And they found the disciples and they said, we have got to tell you what we just saw. It's, a, it's kind of amazing to me. I haven't done a study on this, so I might be wrong. But as you look through the narrative of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we say, he is risen. That's our greeting on, on Easter morning, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. But I find mostly, not entirely, but mostly, what do the disciples say? Check me on this. I'm, I'm, I need to go back and study this myself. What do the disciples say? They don't say he is risen. What, is he, what do they say? I have seen Jesus. Eyes have been opened. They can now see the risen Jesus. And so when you read the narrative and you come to the disciples or to the ladies at the tomb, they might say he's risen. The angels say he's risen. But mostly the disciples are saying, I've seen Jesus. And I think it's amazing. that I, I was just told this week, that the questions over the last generations regarding the resurrection and who Jesus is, the questions over the last few generations have changed from, from the, the facts and the figures. Show me the truth about the resurrection. And that's still important. I'm not saying it's not. But they're telling the experts are telling us that today's generation is not asking that question anymore. You know what they're asking? Does it work? They want to know if the gospel is real. They want to know if the gospel works. 
They want to know if the gospel transforms lives. They want to know somebody's story. They want to know, how, is, how does this work in my life? How does this change my circumstances? How does this give me hope? How does this give me power over this thing that's got a hold of me? They want to know, does this thing work? As uh, the worship team is coming forward, and they're going to close out our time here of worship, I draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm drawn to the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul. And he's talking to a church. He writes this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, listen to what he prays for, and this is our prayer for you today, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that you may know Jesus, that you may know Jesus as we have heard testimony to this morning, life-transforming power of Jesus, that you may know him, that you may have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that's the opening of our hearts so that we can see Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about with the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They needed to have their eyes opened, and so do we. Natural eyes cannot see supernatural things. We need God to open our eyes. And Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is, listen to this, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, and this is it, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. It's all about the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul prays that you would know the power of the resurrection in your life, in your heart, to overcome your sin, to overcome your guilt and your shame, to, to, to lead you into the eternal life that he has for you and all the fullness and the abundance of him. That's our prayer for you today. If you do not know Jesus Christ in the way that we've described him today, I pray that you would make that decision today. I pray that you would open your heart and you would say, God, help me to see these things. And if the, the natural step of obedience when we see these things is to invite him into our life. We simply pray the prayer, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I can't come to you on my own, and I need you as my Savior and I invite you in to be my Lord. That's the simple prayer. And you can know the transforming power that we've heard about today. It's all found in Jesus Christ, the one who has risen from the dead. There is nothing that he can't conquer in your life. Is that good news today? Amen. Amen. Let me pray, and then the worship team is going to lead us out. Lord Jesus, we, we do not have the words to say thank you for the, what you have done for us. You willingly went to the cross. You willingly suffered in our place. You willingly endured death for our sake, in our place. So, Lord Jesus, as we celebrate your resurrection today, our act of obedience, our worship to you is to give our lives back to you. And I pray that everyone in this room and everyone we have contact with would know you as Savior and Lord, and that we would give our lives to you. Lord, show us your abundant life. Show us the power of your resurrection that's worked out in our lives. And we will praise you. May we go out into the world today. May we go out so that all the world can see in our lives and in our testimonies the power of your resurrection. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus.